I want to thank that praise team. That's a fantastic job. It reminds me of 55 years ago, I had the privilege of singing in the first North Goodland Baptist Church Quartet. That was the closest thing we had to a praise team back in those days. When my wife and I were praying just a couple of months ago about what we could share with you this morning, we thought it would be good to share with you the impact that you guys have had on getting the gospel into the whole world. And you know, we're not the very first ones to do that. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, it tells us about when Paul came back from his first missionary journey, he went back to Antioch. And it says, when they were come and he had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now he goes on to say that he stayed with them a long time. Now, pastor wants me to make sure I finish by three o'clock. No, not really. (laughs) But we do have an awful lot that we want to share with you this morning. And if each picture will share a thousand words, that's going to save us a lot of time. But our goal is to thank you folks for the tremendous impact that you've had in us, not just financially, but prayerfully. I know when I give folks a gift, I also spend time in praying for them. And we know that you guys have done that for us. And I want to show you some of the differences that those prayers have made. So turn in your Bible with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us what illustrations Paul used when he went back to Antioch. But I can imagine, Paul liked to tell stories, I could imagine that he had a number of stories to tell. And that's what I would like to do is tell you folks some stories here this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 4, what I'd like to do is tell you a story about two old clay jars. It says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who had commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But... We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power of God may not be of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed and not in despair. You know, Paul made it very, very clear that we're really nothing but clay jars, but... That's clay jars in the potter's hand. So with that in mind, I'd like to back up, oh, about 70 years and start it back at the beginning of this story. My folks were missionaries in Haiti, and we we lived in a, a little mud hut. 
Could we turn the lights down in here? Would that bother anything? Some of these are... I had to go back and digitize some ancient slides to be able to get some of these, these pictures to work. It was made out of sticks that were woven together, and they were all plastered with mud. And then my dad helped also start 37 churches up in the mountains. But my dad also was the field builder. So we started learning basic construction skills just as soon as we could hold a shovel. Chris's parents were missionaries in Brazil. Uh, she's a cute one on the right there. <laughs> she spent a number of years growing up on the Amazon, and our folks were on furlough when Chris and I met right here on Clear Lake Road. The guy that invited me to church happened to be named Mike. Now you have Camp Michael, named after Mike. Chris and I were both 15 years old at the time, and we were planning on just being clay jars for Jesus. We wanted to be part of a ministry for Christ. Well, at the time, Pastor Crowen thought that Chris and I should get together, but Chris thought otherwise, and she actually totally ignored me for about seven years. <laughs> but you know, the Lord had his hand in every moment of that, because then she graduated from New Tribes Bible Institute in Wisconsin, and then in the New Tribes Missionary Training uh, in Canada. From there, she went down to Missouri and completed her language and linguistics training at the Institute in Missouri. And during that time, I graduated from Lawrence Tech as an architectural engineer. But God's timing was perfect. God had a plan because God was preparing his jars of clay. Both of us had our hearts set on serving the Lord. And it didn't take us too long to decide that we really wanted to do that together. So we were married in 1972. I love to tell people that, yes, I did have to wait seven years, but at least I got the right one the first time. <laughs> right after our honeymoon in Haiti, we went back to Haiti to help my brother Roger with an urgent need that they had to build a huge literacy center to train people how to read the Bible. I designed the buildings and I designed the steel trusses, but we really didn't have any idea what kind of steel we were making the trusses out of, nor did we even know what country the steel came from. Some of the steel is many, many times stronger than others, and it's pretty important to know how strong your steel is if you're designing a building and you expect it to stand up to the earthquakes that you're going to find in Haiti or the hurricanes that you find in Haiti. We had to wear long sleeve shirts out there in that very, very high heat to protect us from the welding sparks. But we welded those trusses together using a gasoline-powered welder. And on one really hot day, I remember going home for lunch and we saw the thermometer in the shade on our front porch, and it said 137 degrees Fahrenheit. So people from other countries tell me how warm it is. I like to tell them about the Artemanite Valley in Haiti. But there's Chris out there working at the same time in that same heat with some of the other ladies. Once we'd get the trusses painted or, or uh, welded all together, the ladies would go ahead and paint them for us. You see... 
God was beginning to use his jars of clay. We taught the natives how to lay block, and soon we were standing all the trusses up into place. And the next step was to test the trusses to see if they'd really stand up to 140-mile-an-hour wind. Now, how are you going to test the trusses out in the middle of nowhere in the blistering heat for 140-mile-an-hour wind? So we asked the Lord. They hadn't taught us how to do that in Lawrence Tech. (laughs) We had all kinds of test equipment there, but we didn't have any test equipment in Haiti. But you see, our challenges are nothing to an almighty God. It says that God gave us these earthen vessels in jars of clay so that we would recognize that our challenges here on earth are really nothing because we serve an almighty God. It's the same God that you serve right here. We serve an almighty God and none of these challenges are too great for him. So God gave us a rather simple solution. We translated the horizontal wind speed with a calculator. By the way, is one of the first calculators they ever made that you could carry in a suitcase. And uh, ran it into vertical deflection. And then Chris and the other ladies weighed all of the natives that were working for us as they would climb on the truss. And we had a tape measure hanging from the center. And you measured the deflection. And we figured out that, yes, it will withstand 140-mile-an-hour wind. Now... Just to reassure us, God sent a hurricane a couple of weeks later with 140-mile-an-hour winds, and it came right down the Artibonite Valley. And to my knowledge, that building is still there, and they're still using it. But when we returned from Haiti, we packed up everything, and we got ready to head off to the New Tribes Missionary Training Center that very next year because God still had more preparing that he wanted to do for these jars of clay. You see, Chris had learned Portuguese in Brazil, and I spoke French and Haitian Creole from Haiti, so we decided to go to Indonesia together (laughs) and learn a whole new language. Much of the training was about how to share God's word with people that speak a different language, but they also live in a different culture. But part of the training was building your own house. And Chris made our house into a home. You'd never know that table's made out of sticks and mud. But it's a very good table. We also went on long hikes. This is the ladies' hike, just for practice for what you might run into out on the mission field. And from there, we headed down to Missouri to complete our missionary training at New Tribes Language Institute. Just happened to be the exact same school that Chris had already graduated from with her degree in linguistics. But now we're going back through the training together so that I can complete the language and, and uh, culture study. So there we joined over 100 other missionary candidates who were getting ready for work in some of the remote, most remote places on earth. Every afternoon, each of the students helped out with cleaning and construction and maintenance. And the job that they gave me the first day was hanging a door. And while I was hanging this door, I noticed that there were some other students in the same room uh, putting up insulation. And when my work leader came at the end of the day, 
I said, uh, sir, uh, is there some particular reason why they put insulation in backwards in Missouri? And he walked over to me and he grabbed me by the shirt just to make a real good impression. And he held me up against the door that I had just put up. And he said, let me tell you something, young man. You are not ever going to leave this campus. And so far he's been right. You see, they had been asking the Lord for someone to help manage all of the construction and maintenance for about 120 buildings that the school had on campus. And it wasn't very long, and they asked me if I'd be willing to be the buildings and ground supervisor. And you know, I really enjoyed that job for 22 years. But it didn't take me very long to figure out that that job is absolutely impossible if it wasn't God working through those jars of clay. And we were asking the Lord for solutions. Now, we haven't had a chance to share some of these with you in the past, so I thought I'd just show you a few of them here today. Our administration building was over 100 years old, so in order to keep the student fees as low as, low as possible, we didn't use student fees to build new buildings. We use student fees for the ongoing cost of maintaining everything. So one of my jobs is to make sure that we stayed within that budget, make sure that we didn't use student fees for things that they weren't supposed to get used, to, used for. But the student fees did pay for maintaining several miles of gravel road and sewer systems and water systems and electrical systems, telephone, LP gas, and all of the maintenance that you can imagine on 120 buildings, as well as take care of all of the vehicles and all of the appliances that are used on those buildings. Most of our staff housing was also built way back in the 1800s. The power company had convinced us to put in all electric before I got to the campus. Uh, electric happens to be the most expensive way to heat a building, but they gave us a super good rate because we were using so much electricity. We didn't have very much in the way of power equipment, but we did have quite a few students who were willing and able to be jars of clay for Jesus. And for 30 years, we didn't have to hire one single person from off campus to do any of the construction and maintenance on campus. I taught the guys how to repair water heaters and washing machines and dryers, and the ladies learned how to repair telephones and things in the apartment where ladies might be home in the afternoon when they needed repair. Chris was even a, just about a professional drywaller. Some of the students were able to make, uh, let's get back here, were able to make some of the parts and things that we needed to be able to keep things going because when the old equipment would break down, some of it was so old you couldn't buy parts for it. I bought a large truckload of refrigerators that were headed to the scrap pile one day and got them for $5 a piece. Then I taught the students how to rebuild the refrigerators and after a good coat of paint, we used those same refrigerators for another 30 years. Our first semester, since there were so many students, they asked Chris, because she had already completed the language and linguistic course, they asked her if she'd be willing to teach phonetics and language learning and culture. And that, I believe, is when our total focus switched entirely 
to training missionaries to reach the lost. And that's why we've been there at that school for the last 45 years. Our daughter Tammy came along and Chris started teaching Portuguese because she grew up speaking Portuguese in Brazil. That gave her a little bit more free schedule, but she was often doing double duty taking care of Tammy at the same time. That was a bit perplexing, just like Paul said. It might be perplexing, but God can do it. And I'm not real sure how Chris managed the schedule that she had. When I was digitizing all these slides, I found hundreds of pictures of everything that she was involved in over all of the years. But when our kids were still small, Chris also ended up running our recording studio. And in the recording studio, she duplicated thousands of tapes for the students to use for their language study. She also duplicated thousands of Uh, messages and things to send out with the students. Who would have known that Chris would end up being a recording star? (laughs) This allowed her workout. They could do a lot more flexible so she could spend time with the kids. And when the kids had other things that they could do, then she could uh, work in the recording studio. And I even got to help her sometimes all night a couple of times. On Sundays, Chris loves teaching children's church at our local church. It's really exciting to see these youngsters put their faith in Christ. People think that young people can't understand the scripture, but they can. You know, God challenged me to be a missionary when I was eight years old. And he can challenge you kids too. For the last 40 years or so, I've had the privilege of teaching the younger adults as well as older adults. And, you know, it's really encouraging to be able to see a lot of these adults grow in their faith and come to a a relationship that allows them to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and to learn how to become a jar of clay for our Lord Jesus. You know, we were making pretty good progress as a school. We were staying within the budget. We had almost 100 students every single semester. But then our power company decided to sell us. And our new power company immediately raised our electric rates 600% in one day. Now, the the budget was just balanced before that. Uh, Now we have a slight increase. And you know, that was perplexing, just like Paul said. But we looked at it as a challenge. It's going to be really neat to see how God solves this one. And he did. We bought a 30-foot trailer load of copper tubing from government surplus for $100. It'd probably be worth 30000 right now. And we were given a truckload of aluminum printing plates, which we cut up with a paper cutter. And we, there we go, we built a hydraulic press so we could shape these into fins so that we could make our own solar hot water panels because we found out that our hot water cost was one of our biggest expenses in all the electricity. The first hot water panel that we made paid for itself in one and a half months. Now, if you do the arithmetic on that, that's an investment where you just made 800% interest on your money. 
So that panel worked so well that we decided to make another 10,000 square feet of solar panels. And that one truckload of copper just happened to be just enough. And that one truckload of aluminum plates just happened to be just enough. And it's amazing how God did things like that year after year after year. We heated some of our old staff buildings by burning our own trash, and we'd burn extra firewood out of the woods. One of the students was an electronics engineer. The Lord just happened to send him along at just exactly the right time. And he designed and built uh, an, an electronic peak demand controller. If anybody knows what that is, they're available on the market today, but nobody had them back in those days. And uh, when you look at it, it looks like these old-fashioned computers with all the lights in the front that flash on and off everywhere. All it was doing is whenever we're using too much electricity somewhere, it would turn it off for a few seconds. But it did that all over the whole campus, and it made our electric price, made our meter slow down so much that our power came company, our new power company, came out and changed their brand new $3,500 meter. They changed it three times. And then I said, would you like to see our peak demand controller? Well, they had heard of them, but they had never seen one. And they came in and they looked at ours and uh, they agreed it was actually lowering our power consumption. But you know, it's God's power. It's not us. Meanwhile, in my spare time, I was doing my best to try to answer technical questions from missionaries from all over the world. Solar panels were starting to become popular for missionaries that could, you know, panels that would make electricity to run their tape recorders and their lights and things like that. But very few of the missionaries had any idea how to make these solar panels work in the mission field. In fact, some missionaries were coming back and they were saying, solar doesn't work in the mission field. I knew that solar worked, but I didn't know how, so I wrote to NASA. And NASA actually answered me. And I said, could you tell me how to use solar panels on Earth? I see that you guys are using them all the time. And they wrote back and they said, we have no clue how solar panels work on Earth. We only use them in, on our satellites in outer space. So tell you what, why don't you try it out? And uh, when you figure out how to use them on Earth, you let us know. But I kept getting more and more emails from missionaries, and so we started testing equipment. I remember one time I counted the number of ongoing solar panel questions that I had from missionaries on my computer, and there were actually 99 of them, all going on at the same time in different countries. But you know, this really wasn't a problem for God. Guess who invented the sun? God did. So we started building equipment, and we started testing equipment. And I started buying a few solar electric panels and batteries and started designing and testing some of the equipment in, in greater detail. Uh, here we're comparing different types of solar panels and different kinds of batteries and finding out how they'll actually work. And fortunately, Missouri is in a very, very hot climate during parts of the summer. And we found out that of all of the solar panels that were made, there was only one that would actually continue producing solar electric when the sun hit it and it got hot. Every other panel 
when you take it to the tropics and you put it in the hot sun, it quit making electricity. And there's reasons for that. And we started learning what those reasons were. And we started explaining to missionaries, usually by email, what it was that they could do to try to get these to work. And by the end of the 1980s, I had written a book. One guy had asked me, well, why don't you just take all the questions that we're asking you all of the time and write them into a book and send it out, and then I'll, I wouldn't have to ask you so many questions. And he said, I wouldn't have to figure out how to write the questions either because he didn't even know what the questions were. And I showed the letter to my wife, and we had a good laugh, and then I sat down and wrote the book for about 10 years. <laughs> when Tammy and Jeff, our kids, became teenagers, they often helped me manufacture some of the stuff that we had designed and built other things that were not available in any country, things like uh, solar lightning protection, snake bite zappers, three-stage water purification, fuse boxes for solar electric. None of them were available at any store at any price. We designed them, we tested them, we shipped them to the mission field. Volunteers from different churches from all over the U.S. would come and help us put things together. I remember one weekend we had 34 people there from four different states. And I remember one year uh, Chris would often feed them lunch at our house. And one year she prepared 1,800 additional meals besides our family. <clears throat> For 20 years, Chris was also in charge of all of the student ladies as they would work in the afternoons. And they did all the custodial work as well as the furniture refinishing and the upholstery. God was showing us his amazing power again just through one of his jars of clay. By the 1990s, when field leaders from overseas realized that the elective that I was teaching of that book back in Missouri was actually saving missionaries two years of setup time in the jungle. They started asking, why can't we have that course taught for every missionary in New Tribes Mission at every training center that New Tribes Mission has worldwide? The, that was probably the most perplexing problem that we ever ran into because those training centers were scattered all over the world. And I speak French and English and Creole and Chris speaks Portuguese, but we don't speak all of the languages where they have missionary training centers. But you know, it was really no problem for God to show his power. God can do it. We began teaching at the training center in Missouri. All of the students would take the courses and as it was a 40-hour course, so you could teach it in two weeks if the students really, really studied hard. And so Chris would travel with me, and we'd often go to Mississippi and, or Oregon and Pennsylvania. Then we went up to Ontario, Canada. From there, we went to Great Britain, and we also taught in Australia. Overseas, we would train other trainers to be able to teach how to use solar electric for powering your equipment in the jungle. But, you know, for Chris and me, it was just two old clay jars for Jesus. 
Chris often called our house her guinea pig house because that's where she would test almost all the equipment that we would ship out to the mission field. She loves to tell the story of we were sitting there in the living room uh, one evening and this brand new halogen light bulb that we were testing was in a socket right up above in front of my chair making very beautiful light and all of a sudden here there was a hot bulb that had melted out of its socket and it was bouncing around on the floor. <laughs> and uh, it's a little bit disconcerting sight because it's way too hot to be able to touch it. But Chris put up with that kind of stuff for a lot of years and we ended up testing a lot of equipment for, for missionaries. Chris would also invite students over to our house to found, find out what it was really like to have equipment in your kitchen that was being powered by the sun. They had never run into a solar-powered refrigerator before, much less a chest-type solar-powered refrigerator. And uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but Chris used these for many, many years, and she was able to give them advice. Chris also handled a lot of the correspondence for the missionary technology course. And you know, without her help, I really don't think there's any way that I could have taught that solar electric course over 120 times in different countries. Whatever country we taught in, every hour, you'd have one hour of lecture and then one hour of hands-on labs. And Chris is the one that was not only in charge of uh, putting all of the parts into containers for the hands-on labs, she would also make sure that we had all of the students with the right tools in class to be able to put those labs together. Because when they get to the mission field, they need to know how to assemble their equipment. And we would practice assembling it right there in class, but it takes an awful lot of props. I bought a van just to drive to all of these training centers. And then when we went overseas, it was really a challenge. We'd ship some stuff ahead, and then uh, Chris would carry two 70-pound bags plus her carry-on, and I'd carry two 70-pound bags plus her carry-on. And uh, that went on for a number of years. But Chris kept track of thousands of parts that we'd use in each of those student labs. And then she'd put all of these kits together. And I really appreciated the extreme detail that she would have in putting these together because if you're missing one part and you happen to be in Australia and you don't have any stores where you can go part, do parts, the students can't do the lab. And I think in all of the years that we taught, we never missed a single tool or a single part in any of those kits. So I, I, you can tell I... Praise the Lord for my wife. <laughs> Not only that, she knew the lab so well that she would know precisely what tools to get out and have them ready for the students when they were ready to work on those labs. The students were really encouraged that they were able to learn how to install and operate and maintain their equipment when they got to the field because they wouldn't have any repairman that they could call. They don't have any ACE hardwares where they can go buy parts. And so the Lord worked out the details to really make a difference.
Ernest Jones was one of the students that I taught many, many years ago, and then he has been teaching at the school in Canada, and now he's down in Missouri and taking over teaching all of my classes that I taught down there. And we also have other international trainers teaching in some of the overseas schools. Every summer, our team hosts missionaries coming from all different countries all around the world because we have started shipping equipment not just to all of the countries that New Tribes Mission is working in, but also 100 other evangelical mission organizations. And we've had our CEO of New Tribes Mission came to me one day at lunch and he said, Tim... He says he goes to a lot of missionary conferences with people from all of these other mission boards. And they were asking him, the director of New Tribes Mission, why New Tribes Mission was hoarding all of their information about solar electric technology. Because they saw our missionaries overseas with solar-powered refrigerators and freezers and solar-powered fans and all of their equipment for Bible translation and all of their printing equipment for printing the gospel. Everything was all set up and running, and they didn't have it. And so that's when we started teaching this seminar where we would have people from other mission organizations come in. They'd take exactly the same course. The main difference was they wanted a 40-hour course in one week because they were on furlough. So we said, okay, you guys do all the homework first. It's two hours a night for all of the homework, and we'll teach it in a 40-hour week. And we would serve meals. The ladies would... Uh, serve the meals and make up the housing, get all of that ready for them and everything. And they have really, really appreciated that. So as a tech center, we're now shipping equipment to over 100 mission organizations and other evangelical independent missionaries that might go out and not be under a particular mission board. I had a number of professors from other Christian universities in the United States. And one professor came up to me one time after he took this summer course, and he said, Tim, he said, I have a doctorate in teaching solar electric technology. But he said, you are the one that deserves the doctorate. I beg to differ with him. God is the one who deserves the doctorate because we are just jars of clay that God is willing to use. We invented a lightning protector for solar electric equipment eight years before IBM invented exactly the same circuit to protect their multi-million dollar computers. Now, you can't say that's Tim C., because I am an I'm an architectural engineer. I'm not an electronic engineer. But God gave us that circuit. We put it together. It's unbelievable how well it works. No wonder they wanted to use it for their big mainframe computers. But Paul says that the whole reason that God wants to work through these jars of clay is that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We need to recognize, we need to acknowledge that it's only God that's doing this. 
and stop at various mission fields to help train some of the local people how to do repairs and things for the missionaries. We're, Chris and I were way up, I think you were with the me with this one, weren't you? Yes, uh, way up in the mountains in Papua New Guinea at very, very high elevation. And the missionaries there were suffering, which seemed obvious to me, very, very high carbon monoxide poisoning. You know, tingling in your fingertips, your legs going numb, tremendous headaches. But when they would fly out of the jungle and they'd go out to the doctor, the doctor would test them and they were perfectly fine because they weren't getting the poisoning there. But when they would come back to their house, they ran into carbon monoxide poisoning. And they happened to have a very, very good Australian maintenance man, but he had never run into that before. So I showed him how to take an old two-by-four that we found in the trash heap behind the house. We had found some string, a tape measure, and an old piece of plastic tubing. And we built a gauge to measure the gas pressure that was running their gas stove down to an accuracy of one one-thousandth of a pound per square inch. And we adjusted that pressure for precisely what it should be. And it totally eliminated all of the carbon monoxide poisoning. See, when you get it at high altitude, your gas changes its pressure. And it has to be adjusted or you can easily die from it. These trips to Haiti and Africa and Mexico and Papua New Guinea and Thailand and Indonesia and India provided some valuable information for improving the tech book and for teaching in each of the individual training centers. Everywhere that we went, our goal was always the same, to train missionaries, to reach the lost people in some of the most remote places on earth. Here's Tim and Chris hiking through the jungle on a nice muddy trail. Just two old clay jars for Jesus. In 2005, we were thrilled when New Tribes Mission headquarters asked us to put together a team to help train missionaries so it would no longer just be Chris and me. And that's when the New Tribes Mission Tech Center was founded as a separate part of New Tribes Mission. And then God provided staff that just happened to be veterans of all different ministries for within New Tribes Mission. Most of them were either coming back from countries where they were kicked out by the government or uh, their kids were very, very sick with uh, different types of diseases and things and they needed to work in the States and they joined our staff. We are happy to move into the only unoccupied space on campus, and that happened to be the basement of our dining hall. But you know, that was a whole lot better than our carport, where we were before. Because the carport had a wood stove that we made out of some metal that we had, and down in the basement of the dining hall, we actually had some real heat down there. There's even room for students to do some of their labs, around some of the manufacturing tables. Uh, here we have Judy's desk, who is the secretary of the tech center, is in the back of one of the classrooms. Uh, that only works for just so long, but it, it does get the work done. At the same time, we are getting questions from missionaries from all over the world. And uh, we, we had to 
do a lot of the, I think this just jumped on me a bit. Where'd it go? There it is. Uh, when the guys would get a question in, I remember one time, uh, and they would give you the uh, illustrations as to what the problem was, and people would all guess at what the answer was. But the manufacturing tables also gave us more room for volunteers. It was really helpful when we started shipping to so many different countries that we had never even heard of before. And some of these would take special research because uh, some of them were in the middle of the Sahara Desert, like, uh, well, I better not name some of these countries. <laughs> but uh, they have a different environment, and you need to design your solar electric system for the particular environment that they have. But we did have a lot of volunteers that came in. Uh, here they're uh, producing a very, very... That's the lightning protector that I was telling you about. Uh, and... Chris would often fix meals for them, too, over at our house. And, you know, all of it is so that the excellency of the power of God can be seen so that we are not trying to take God's glory. If you're willing to give the credit to God who designed all of this stuff, it's phenomenal what the Lord will get done. If you're out there doing your job so that you can get credit for it, what good is it in eternity? We didn't really have any loading docks, so this was our loading dock. You'd have to drive the pickup up the hill, around the gate, and back up to a truck that was parked on the road, and then take it all down to the tech center and offload it again. My desk was in the back of a large culture classroom that was upstairs in the dining hall, and I often use noise cancellation headphones, but I never did figure out how to keep my keyboard noise from disturbing the class because a lot of what I had to do was high-speed typing. We had equipment stored in 11 other places around the campus, a chicken coop, some old barns, a milking parlor, a hayloft, the classroom attic, and some of it was even outside. Everything was inventoried, so we knew exactly where it was but we'd also spend a lot of time wasted having to run all over campus trying to track down the materials you need to build a particular uh, item for missionaries. And that's when we started asking the Lord for a new tech building. During the same time, New Tribes Mission changed their name to Ethnos 360 so that we could help get into more countries. It would take the word mission out of your name. And so we could no longer call us the New Tribes Mission Tech Center. So we changed our name to Off-Grid Tech. Now, Off-Grid Tech was already taken on the Internet. But it just happened that the Lord worked it out, that the person who bought it was one of our former students <laughs> who willingly let us buy it from him. So it's amazing how God works. God started supplying some very valuable material long before we even had the plans finished for the new building. And so as I would draw up the plans for the building, I would figure these things into it. Now, let's see. I really don't need to have three-quarter inch pipe there. Inch and a half will do just fine. And so that's how we would plan the building and the way we would put it on the prints. Chris and I were on our way back from Michigan, back down to Missouri one time, and 
Uh, we stopped in at a huge warehouse that handles uh, tax-deductible receipts for companies, and they said, tell you what, we got a special today for your new building. Anything you can fit in the van is yours. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, we really considered leaving all our clothes in St. Louis, but, <laughs> but you know, God knew that we needed the brand new laser leveling equipment that happened to be in that van. And we used it every single day that we were on that construction site. I worked on the design for several years. And when God provided the funds for the building, we contacted a Christian contracting company that was willing to work with us and make the one exception that I've had many people tell me we would never get. They said, you'll never find a professional contracting company that's willing to work with volunteers. But this one did. And God sent us volunteers from quite a few different states across the United States. So as soon as the funds came in for the project, we started clearing ground and we recycled like these long cedar poles for the the students that would use them in their simple living course, they are taught how to use chainsaws and to make planks out of them and to build their houses out of them. And uh, Chris and I and several other people would go out there every day and clean up the site, get it ready for construction. And then when summer came around, we had to pour concrete. It was so hot in the summertime in Missouri that we'd have to start long before sunup. But sure enough, there's my wife out there long before sunup because she was helping me keep water on the slab to make sure that it didn't harden too fast in the bright sun, which would crack the concrete. So Chris would be up before dawn too. I won't make any other comments about getting up that early. But, <laughs> but you know, it's really just two old clay jars for Jesus. It's work that God needed to be done, and he allowed us to do it. Professional steel crews came in, and they put up the steel for the building really pretty quickly. But this turned out to be a building that they had never, ever insulated a steel building as much as this one. And that was all planned that way, because I feel it's a lot better to pay for your heat up front than it is to pay for it later on. And for any of you who happen to be interested, that is a 15,000 square foot building. And our maximum heating and air conditioning and lighting and machining and electric bill is $300 a month. And so God is good. It's just old clay jars for Jesus. Our staff got to work on things that were inside the building uh, welding up steel stands and stuff like that for the heat pump. Local church groups helped us with the landscaping and uh, retaining walls and ductwork. And volunteers even came in from Kansas to help us with some of the wiring, the lighting, electrical. Uh, we had people coming in from uh, Michigan to help us with running all of the miles, I think, of uh, wiring that we needed for the Internet in the building. We actually were given the occupancy for the building just before lockdowns became popular, if you can call them that. And now the perplexing job of moving in. But the troubling part of that 
was the fact that we still had to teach class. We had to keep up with the tech questions from coming in from dozens of countries, actually a hundred organizations now. We had to keep up with manufacturing and shipping enough equipment for everybody. We had to finish up all of our own landscaping and we had to do all of this while we were managing the COVID restrictions and trying to move the offices at the same time. And we had to move all those supplies from 11 different locations. But the guys, God provided us a fantastic off-grid tech team. They would do their job, get it finished as quickly as they could, and then go into moving supplies into the building. Each box was inventoried. They knew precisely where it was, what shelf it was on. So you go to make a component, and everything is all right there, right when you need it. So today our team members are still finishing the details of moving into the building, and yet God has allowed two of our guys. You guys know Benjamin Baum. He happens to be in Sierra Leone right now, along with Ernest. And then uh, Ernest is the one that's normally teaching my classes this week, but he's in Sierra Leone, and so Ray is filling in for him. So our guys are cross-trained. They know how to get the job done, and they're willing to work for God's glory. So what a blessing it is today to have lots of room to be able to work. But you know, Chris and I are technically retired now. I was telling somebody this morning that retired in New Tribes Mission means that you can legally no longer work more than 39 hours a week. (laughs) So far that hasn't been a problem, but we do have some specific prayer requests I do need wisdom in updating that missionary technology book because, you see, there's a lot of things that were written in there originally that missionaries don't need to know anymore. Like right now, you do not need to know how to make your own LED flashlight. But in 1989, if you didn't make your own LED flashlight, you wouldn't have one. And they were very, very helpful for missionaries on the field. But missionaries today do need to know how to keep their LED flashlights from interfering with their communication equipment or their recording equipment, their digital equipment that they're using for translation. So there's a lot of this rewrite that needs to be done. But we do need to ask the Lord for clarity as we try to communicate some of this really complex stuff in, in simple English. We also have a patent in water filtration that we would like to develop to help get the gospel into uh, countries that I can't mention the name of this morning, but the Lord is already using this. In fact, we got quite a few emails while we're here in Emily City about what God is doing behind the scenes in this and helping to get the gospel into some of these countries that have never heard. But you know, there's a problem I need to tell you about with these two jars of clay. They're wearing out. (laughs) They're getting old. These old clay pots break. In just this last project that we are working on down there, I had to jot these down so I wouldn't forget them all, I lost a lot more of my hearing ability My eyes started developing cataracts. My jawbone cracked in three different places. I did massive damage to the tendons in my left shoulder. Arthritis has fused the bones together in my wrist, and my knee doesn't want to bend anymore. You see, these old jars are wearing out. 
we're still here, praise the Lord. We can still speak, praise the Lord. Now, Chris, she's young and spry, but she just... <laughs> She just went through a whole bunch of tests on her heart before we left because she had COVID and she had some chest pains the doctor was concerned in. So my whole point here is we need new people who are willing to be jars of clay for our Lord and Savior. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done out there. There's still 2,500 language groups that don't have the gospel in their own language. Now, that's where all these people are headed. These are all graduating from down there in Missouri, and they need other people to join them. And most of them are young people, but some are older. God has used retired people on the mission field before, helping out at the mission schools and things like that. But we need people. We know from what we see going on in this world today that we are nearing the time of Christ's return. I think most... So, and yet we know that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So we would ask you, are you willing to get involved? Are you willing to be one of the replacements for these jars of clay? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your willingness to use just old jars of clay to be able to get your work done. And we do ask, Lord, that maybe there are some in the service here today that would be willing to give their lives just so that people that have never heard can hear the name of Jesus in their own language. So we just thank you what you're, for what you're doing in the hearts of each one here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Brother Tim and Chris. It's always good to have you guys with us. I just have to say, uh, that house they were talking about down in Missouri, uh, I had the chance to, to stay with these guys when I went down to visit the Bible college that I attended, which isn't far from where they live in Missouri in, uh, what would that be, spring of 2000. And, uh, it really is an amazing house, but yeah, everything's on solar power and it was really, really cool to experience that, to live that way. But these guys are hundred percent genuine and I'm just so thankful that we've been able to partner with you for so many years as a church and continue to partner with you in your mission. And so let's be praying for these guys, but here's what I want to do. I'm going to have you stand to your feet and we're going to respond this morning with the song of invitation. And these guys are going to lead us in this, but, but I want to ask you to, to pray and to respond. And, and I want to ask you to come forward if you feel led to do so and bend a knee. And maybe you want to come and just praise the Lord for, for Tim and Chris. And, and maybe you want to come and praise the Lord for them and their many years and just say thank you to the Lord for all their, their years of service. Maybe you want to come and pray for them as they, again, they said they're retired, but we know uh, they're continuing to work and do many things with, with Ethnos and the off-grid. And so maybe you want to come and just pray for them as an individual, as a couple, or as a family, and say, we're going to lift these two up this morning and ask God to do great things, continue great things. Or maybe you want to come and pray and say, Lord, I, I just feel this pull to the mission field. Uh, maybe you're calling me to go. And again, I love what, what Tim said. It's not just about going to a foreign field and, and being a church planner or a Bible uh, translator. We can do that. That's awesome. But those people in the jungles, they need people here in the States supporting them 
and ministering to them. They need people doing many different jobs. And so whatever it is that God has gifted you with, he can use that in the mission field. I promise you that. And so whatever it is that God is doing, would you're going to just respond and just there in your seats, or maybe you want to come and pray as we're led in a song of invitation, would you respond to what the Lord is doing this morning?